Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. As long as you're getting down to the core element, the core element is sin. It's sin. Because there's plenty of people within our world that they, they hate God. You may know some people that absolutely cannot stand God. But you don't hate that person. But you have every right to hate the hate and to hate the sin that has consumed them. David's longing for righteousness. That's the difference. He's not just hating for hate's sake. All-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful. These are three characteristics of God that David learned during his lifetime. When we see all of the horrible things going on in the world today, it's important to remember that it doesn't define God because he has the power. Pastor James emphasizes in his message today that it's okay to love the person, but not what they're doing wrong. Like David, we can be angry with sin going on in the world, but we must also examine ourselves to make sure that we're doing what's right. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. As Pastor James continues his message, he is still here. It says, if I ride the wings of the, of the morning, essentially what he's talking about is from the east, when the sun rises. He's like, if I hop on that bird and I fly on that bird all the way to the other side, as far as west as you can go, ride the wings of the morning. And if I dwell on the farthest oceans, so you got from as high as you can go to as low as you can go, guess what? You cannot get away from God. You can't get away from him. It says, even there, your hand will guide me. And your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. That's fascinating. You know, most of the crimes happen in nighttime, right? We understand why, because it's like under the cover of darkness. So nobody sees me. The reality is, is that God sees all things. There is no night and day for him. There's no night. It's not like when the sun goes down, God's got to get out his holy flashlight and be like, oh, what are these sinners doing? He sees it all. He sees it all. Just as the night is just the same as the day for him. You can't hide from him. And that's, that's, this is essentially what David's saying. Oftentimes we read this and it kind of like strikes a little bit of fear into our lives. We're like, oh man, this is kind of like, so God's like watching me all the time. It's kind of creepy. No, it's not. It's really not. Unless you're like, you're guilty of doing something you shouldn't be doing. Because then you're feeling, if you're feeling that way, but if you're like, I'm just trying to serve the Lord, man. And I'm so glad that he's got his eyes on me all the time, all the time. Does that mean I'm always doing stuff that pleases him? No, no. But I praise God that he's got his eyes on me all the time. Please never take your eyes off of me, Lord. Please never take your eyes off of me. I find comfort in this, personally. I find comfort in the fact that there's nothing that you can experience in this life that's going to separate you from him. There's no way, nowhere physically you can go that's going to separate you. 
I know some of the questions that may come about are like, well, what about like backsliding? What about the prodigal son? And, you know, using that story, he ran away from home and then ran back to God. What that sometimes fails to communicate is it sometimes pictures like, well, God is stuck here and you can run away. The reality is if that father was truly illustrating God the Father, he was aware and was with that kid everywhere, right? Now, it's not the physical act of him returning back. It's the repentant act of turning and acknowledging, I've turned my back on you. I've sinned against you. So that's the prodigal son. It really is highlighting this this element of repentance. Repentance. You can backslide as a Christian, I think. You can turn your back on him, but you can never get away from him. And how frustrating of a life is that? To know the grace of God and the goodness of God, and yet to turn your back on him, knowing you're never going to get away from him. You'll never get away from him. He's always there. He's always there. So for some who backslide, you're like, dude, just wake up and just turn around. Tell him you're sorry. Let him embrace you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. You're his. You surrender to him. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Well, that promise still applies even to those who are the hardest of all heads, right? The, the extreme knuckleheads, where it's like, stop doing this. Turn around and acknowledge who he is and just say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for trying to run away from you all the time. You're never going to leave me. No, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Now, quit being a knucklehead and let's, let's go on a mission together, right? Let's, let's do what I created you to do. And that transitions into this next portion, as he is, he's God who is all-knowing, God who is ever-present, the God who is everywhere is with you. To the next part is, he's the creator God. He is God all-powerful. And this is one of these elements of, of God, his attributes, that I just love to death, because I am a... Uh, I guess my personality type would be more of a creative, I guess you would say that, right? Definitely not type A, definitely not type A. I'm a more artistic, creative type person. Give me a blank piece of paper and a pencil or a pen, and I'm drawing on that thing all day long. In fact, that's how I took notes in, well, I didn't really take notes in high school. When I went to Bible college and I kind of got my act together and I figured I should probably start paying attention because I'm paying for this school. So I need to pass so I can get like a degree or something. I think I got one of those. I don't really know. But anytime I sit through like a teaching or preaching or anything like that, what I have is I always, I always have a pen and I always have a blank piece of paper because how I take notes is I draw. I draw. I don't write notes. I don't even preach with notes. I don't do that. It's too distracting. But I draw. And I can tell you, if I look through my Bible and I see an image, I can tell you who was preaching, what they were preaching on, and what day that was taught on. And every point that they said. Because for me, that's how my brain works. I'm a creative type, I guess you would say. And then I look at this, verses 13, 13 through 16, and I see the greatest artist who has ever existed and ever will exist forever and ever. Verse 13 says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. This is beautiful. This is so amazing. Where David's like, 
you, so you know my thoughts, you've examined my heart, I cannot run away from you, all this stuff. You formed me, you designed me, you created me. The creator God who made everything made you, he made you. And it wasn't like he made a domino called Adam and then well, he had to make an Eve one too and then he just pushed those over and then it just, every human being is just popped out just because as a natural result of that. Yes, I get it. Some procreation has to happen and all that fun stuff, I get it. But what I don't wanna miss is that for each and every individual on this planet who has ever been born, who has ever come into conception, let me clarify that because I think life begins at conception God has knitted those people together. All the delicate inner parts, as, as David is saying here. Some other translations would say like, in the Hebrew, it, it uses words like liver. Like that sometimes is a word that will pop up in the Hebrew. Like, you, he, God, you made my liver? Like what in the world are we talking about here? Well, uh, the better term would be guts. Well, that's not a fun word, right? We're like, God, that's gross. That's a gross word. No, like the, the seat of your whole body, as they say sometimes, is like in your guts. Like you get your mind and in your heart. Well, your emotions and all that stuff, oftentimes people will point towards, you get that gut feeling, right? Like that's sometimes, that, there's a chance that's where that came from. I don't know that 100%. But what he's saying is like, man, you formed me and all the delicate intricate little parts inside of me were made and fashioned by you. God designed it. And our body, the human body is an amazing thing. It is absolutely, it's an ongoing miracle each and every day. What your human body, what your body is doing for you. It's miraculous. And all of that is possible because God formed you, knit you together in his mother's womb, all powerful God. Paul would say, and we saw this in Ephesians, you're his masterpiece. You're his work of art, his poema. You are a work of art. And that started way back inside your mother's womb where God's like, all right, time for you to come on the scene. Because he knew when you were going to be born. He also knows when you're going to die. But he was heavily involved in forming and knitting you together. Now, some people would say, well, this is just poetic, and it literally God probably wasn't forming you because we have, you know, the cells will split, and it does all this stuff. Uh, I can understand that, and I've heard guys argue that point. I personally choose to believe that God was putting, putting little James together, you know? Like, here he goes. I'm just punching in all these little things. I don't know how he, you know, how it all works or anything like that, but the formation of me all credit goes to God. All credit goes to him. And this is what David's saying. He's like, man, I, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's, it's incredible. He's like, I thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion in the darkness, right? The darkness, especially for David as he's writing this. They don't have like ultrasounds. Like he said, they have no idea what's going on for the most part inside of the, of, of the female, as conception has happened and the baby's growing, you're going through trimesters and all that good stuff, it was still a mystery to them. It was still a mystery. We have a little bit better understanding now, but even to a certain extent with technology growing and it, technology, like I think they said it like doubles every single day now, which is crazy. Like technology and what we know, quote unquote, doubles every single day now. That's incredible. That's amazing. It's also 
seems to be problematic. I don't know. But <laughs> there's something that doesn't sit right with me. I remember in Daniel, it talked about as you get towards the end of times, that knowledge would be growing exponentially. And that's kind of where we live right now because knowledge is growing exponentially. So anyways, as David's writing this, he says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark, in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And this is just another beautiful, great, tremendous reminder that there's not a day that goes by. There's not a single day that goes by where God is not there, where he's not there. There's not a single day or moment or event that happens in our lives that God is ignorant of. He's already known about them. Now, this can cause you to go two different directions. One can be one of frustration. Well, if you knew it, why'd you let it happen, right? It's a fair question. That's a fair question. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask questions like that, especially within the church. It's totally fair question to ask God. I think God would, would say to you and say to myself, just like he would to Job, well, let's reason together. Come, let us reason together. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. Because there's lots of things that have happened in my life where I'm like, wait, God, you knew this was going to happen. Then why'd you let it happen? And then as I grow, I can look back and be like, okay, I can see that. I see some advantages of that. I see where some, some growth and maturity has come about because of that. And what was very difficult at that stage in my life has produced fruit or caused maturing within my walk later on, okay? It doesn't always work out like that. There's still, I think, a lot of questions and all that good stuff. He knows what's gonna happen. The other side you can take of this is like, man, Lord, so I'm not gonna worry. I'm just not gonna worry. I mean, I could sit back and go down this road of like, but God, if you already knew, then why? The healthy, I think, and again, you can ask those questions. I'm, I'm letting you know right now, you might not get answers, but I'm telling you right now, he's, an, he's an, a loving God who can handle any question you have, who can handle any question you have. He may not answer them, okay? That's the thing. He may or may not answer them, or he may not answer them today. The answer may come over time. The other route you can take with, take that, or take with that is, okay, so if you know everything that's going to happen in my life, then why am I worried? Then why am I worried? And in fact, I think scripturally, considering all the, you know, everything that the, the Lord has told us through his word, and specifically through the New Testament, the most common command is, you know, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't worry is connected to that. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Well, we'll see David's anxious. So if you have anxious thoughts, you're in good company because King David was an anxious man, okay? But the intent behind that is for us not to be worried, for us not to be afraid, for us not to be anxious. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And that's the frustrating part. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. But again, I'm not in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. You're not in control. You can make decisions and all that good stuff. You've got a free will. He's given you that and all that. That's fine. But concerning his overall master plan, he's in control. He knows what he's doing. He knew you before you were born. He formed you in your mother's womb. All the days of your life have been recorded in a book. 
Jesus would even go on to say, he knows even how many hairs are on top of your head. He knows you that intimately and that detailed, and he knows exactly how many days he's going to have you on this planet. He knows everything. There's nothing that can separate you from him. He's all-knowing. He's, all, he's ever-present. He's all-powerful. What, what our response should be to this is like, I just want to hang out with you. God, I just want to hang out with you. I just, I want to, I want to use all this. I want all this to, to affect my heart to where it encourages me to like, I just want to run to you. In fact, it's not even like, I just want to run to you. There's some days and some moments where it's like, I have to run to you. I have to. Because I can't get away from you, even though there's times, and yes, in my own life, there are times where I'm like, God, Today, I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. I'm going to go this way. You go that way. I just need some time. He's like, good luck getting away from me. How about we just sit down and deal with this? How about we just deal with this? He's so good, man. He's so loving. He's so loving. And, and here's, what's, here's what's amazing about this. Almighty, all-powerful God who has created you, he can't stop thinking about you. He can't stop thinking about you. He's obsessed with you. If I could say it that way, like in a good, healthy way, you know, not like if you've had relationships before where somebody's like, hey, you've been thinking about me today? Uh, not really. Um, yes, I should probably say yes, because you're kind of scaring me now. It's not like creepy. It's like God is, he loves you so much. Look, I mean, here's what David says, verse 17. How precious are your thoughts about me? The other way to translate that is how precious to me are your thoughts I think the more appropriate translation, I can't believe you think about me. I cannot believe you, God Almighty, think about me, this nothing person. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Holy cow, what a miracle. Like, you never leave me. You never stop thinking about me. You're always on his mind. And that's not just a song that Willie Nelson sang one time. I think that's the right reference. I don't know. You're always on his mind. So let's, let's look at this. You're always on God's mind. He's always thinking about you. Partnered with Jesus, the great intercessor, who is always praying for you partnered with the Holy Spirit, who is God, who lives inside of you and is always with you. Holy Spirit lives in you, always with you. Jesus Christ is always praying for you nonstop, every single day. How can he pray for me and however many other Christians on this planet? Because he's God, okay? Solve the problem right there. He's God, all right? You can't do it because you're not God, you're not him, all right? But he is. And he's praying for you all the time. Then God the Father never stops thinking about you. Never. Never. You can't even number the thoughts he has concerning you. And the assumption here is that they're not even like bad thoughts. Like, oh, man, what did they do now? Like, uh, did he really say that? I can't believe he said that. Maybe those are part of it. I don't really know. But the context leads you to believe that his thoughts are just full of love towards you. It's amazing. And when you wake up in the morning, guess what? He's there. He's there. He's like, hey, ready for another day? I've been thinking about you. Been thinking about you. You ready to go? Let's go. Let's go. Verse 19, 
here's where it goes. This seems like where it goes off, right? You're like reading through this and you're like, oh, this is so beautiful, so poetic, so amazing. And then it's like, oh God, if you would only destroy the wicked. You're like, wait, what happened? Like, what did I miss? Did, I, did my Bible leave out a verse or something? No, this is David. This is David. Read the Psalms and you see this all throughout the Psalms. He, his heart just builds and swells with emotion and, and this love and adoration for God. And it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And then he thinks of all the people who hate God, who hate this God who loves them so much. And he, he's, he wants to be holy like God is holy. He's so loving. He's longing for righteousness is really what this next part, if you could summarize it. It's David longing for righteousness. So, says, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. David dealt with murderers. Okay, so I don't know if this is something you're praying. If it is, we'll pray for you. You need new friends, I think, maybe. You're hanging around the wrong people. I don't know. But this is David who was being like, oftentimes he was being hunted by a crazy king, King Saul, and then also he was hunted by his own son for a while. David knows what it's like to deal with people who are coming after him and who are not even just coming after him, but devising schemes against him and lying about him. And here he is saying like, God, you know me. You know me. There are other people They think they know me, but they don't know me. You know me, and I find comfort in that. Now, how about you deal with these people, (laughs) is what he says, right? He's like, now, concerning these people. In other Psalms, he's like, can you just, like, kick their teeth in? Can you do that? Like, just kick their teeth in. And I'm like, man, David's hardcore. My prayer life is nothing like this. I can be honest with you. I don't have, like, I I don't have, like, my good list and then my bad list, right? I don't have that going on. Lord, go get those This is just him longing, crying out for righteousness. Verse 20, he says, they blaspheme you. They speak against you. Your enemies misuse your name or they take your name in vain. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. And we read this and we're like, this is bad. Like, this is sin, right? Tell me this is sin. Here's... Let me boil it down like this. I'll read you this quote from a a pastor who's long since been dead, but uh, Horn. He says, a good man hates not the persons of men, but their sins. Not what God made them, but what they have made themselves. And to simplify that, we hate the sin, but we don't hate the sinner, Right? And I think that kind of, you can kind of boil it, what David is communicating was like, look, man, Lord, I just, I don't like anybody who speaks against you. You're my God. You love me. You think about us all the time. I mean, he just could go on and on and on. And then there's these people who absolutely hate you. Shouldn't I be upset about that? Shouldn't I be moved by that? And the answer is, yeah, you should be. As long as you're getting down to the core element the core element is sin. It's sin. Because there's plenty of people within our world that they, they hate God. You may know some people that absolutely cannot stand God. But you don't hate that person. But you have every right to hate the hate and to hate the sin that has consumed them. David's longing for righteousness. That's the difference. He's not just hating for hate's sake. He longs for righteousness. And he wants his God, who he loves so much, to be revered and respected. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. You've been listening to the radio ministry Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're based out of Galveston, Texas, with the support of Calvary Galveston and listeners like you. We trust that what you heard in today's message stirred something inside of you to a point of action. These teachings are meant to help you find hope and new life in Jesus, and that's our heart's desire for you today. If you're in the Galveston area, would you come be a part of what's happening at Calvary Galveston? Our atmosphere is simple, laid back, and uncomplicated. We just want to magnify Jesus at all ages. To learn more about our ministry, we invite you to visit breadforthebroken.com. We also do a live stream on Facebook, so check it out, even if you are a little further away. If you're interested in hearing more messages like this one, you can do that by going to the Listen tab at breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, why not discover a little more about the church and this ministry, as well as look for opportunities to partner with us here. There's a Give tab that's easily accessible on our website too, if you feel led to support us in a financial way. We'd also love it if you would join us in praying for this ministry. Pastor James is excited to share new things with you in the coming study. There's always more that we can gain from diving deep into God's Word. Until next time, we encourage you to stay connected to God and His Word, and to then come back for more solid teachings right here. We'll be waiting for you, here on Bread for the Broken.